First Peter is where we're going to be today as we begin a new series looking at the book of First Peter. I've been watching this movie lately with my kids. We get on a kick where, where we start watching movies that are kind of repetitive, uh, and we watch the same thing over and over. That's just like the age my kids are at. They just love that one movie, and they want to watch that over and over. They want to watch that thing. We started watching this movie lately, uh, and it's called Planet 51. Um, and it sounds very space age, space age and futuristic, but indeed, it is animated. It is an animated movie. Here's what Planet 51 is about. And this sounds so simple and so silly, even, and like most animated movies kind of sort of tend to be, there's actually something really profound in it. It's about this astronaut that goes to another planet. What's he looking for on another planet? Why do people go to other planets? What are they looking for? Life, right? Life outside the life they know. Alien life. Is there anybody out there? Is there anything out there? Well, lo and behold, this American astronaut comes and he lands on this planet. And in fact, he finds that there is life. But not just life in the sense that like he found something or a sign that something had been here or something is, is living here. This planet is full of life, like totally full of life. Like there's houses and there's streets and there's schools and there's people that have jobs. But they're not people, they're aliens. He comes to this planet expecting to find something strange and something unique, something weird. And he does. But ultimately, he really comes to find he's the alien. There's a bunch of people, aliens, living all over the place. He's looking around at things that, in his mind, are supposed to be foreign, but he is the foreigner. He's the one visiting. He's actually the outsider. In biblical terms, the word for that would be a sojourner or an exile. Somebody who comes to a place... And doesn't really recognize it because they're outside of it. And you might say, well, Michael, that's silly. That's just a, a kid's movie. What are you getting at? Well, here's the thing. Every day, life in this world feels more and more like that to me. Like, I look at the world around me, and, and, and so many days, I feel like I don't recognize it. That it doesn't seem the same as it used to. I feel like I'm very much an outsider. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. You may feel like that as well. Pick up your phone, turn on the television. It doesn't take long to see that the world that we live in is increasingly unrecognizable. Like just little stuff. Like commercials that aired now, right? Like five or ten years ago, you couldn't air that commercial. Not unless it was like after 9 o'clock at night, and definitely not on that channel at that time. Because the content is strange, it's inappropriate, it's not, not oriented toward, toward all people. We're having to be more diligent about the things that we watch, the things that we read, because the sin that's so perverse in our society and the world around us. Quite frankly, I think it's just common knowledge. Like The days of Walter Cronkite are gone, the media does not tell us the truth. We see corruption of, of leaders who are supposed to be serving others and they're only serving themselves. 
absolute truth has been replaced with you just find your truth. As if truth is something that's malleable, that it's, that it's formable, that it's shapeable, it's something that we could invent. Gender and identity has become fluid and people have moved to this place where they were once resolute and now there's complacency and there's this willingness to say just do what you feel because there's a fear of being labeled as someone who's closed-minded if they don't submit to things that are ultimately just lies. They're not true. The traditional family is under attack. Everyone is gaslighting everyone else and the list goes on and on. And all that stuff's generalities, right? But as I say those things, I doubt that they're strange to you. I bet you can think of something you've seen, something you've read, something you've heard, some conversation, perhaps even a relationship or someone close to you where those things maybe hit close to home and you say, yeah, this world does kind of feel alien to me. I think the more and more that we're in it as believers, it's going to feel that way. And you might say, well, Michael, what does that have to do with the Bible? We live in modern times. It's never been like this. This is the kind of world that the Apostle Peter is actually writing to. It's a world in which believers were pushed to the outside, where they lived on the fringes, seemingly, where they didn't fit in with a debaucherous and selfish and wild world where people sought to only glorify themselves. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at First Peter in a series titled Sojourners and Exiles. We're going to start to see our identity and how we fit, or rather don't fit, into the world in which we live and how the Bible helps us understand how to live in this world. Number one, to understand our identity, to get a doctrinal picture of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, and how the triune God not only equips us to live in this world, but gives us life in the midst of it. We're also going to get practical instruction, real teaching about how to live, how to conduct ourselves, how to, how to live life, in a world that's as crazy as the one that you and I live in. This is what we're going to be experiencing as we look to the book of First Peter. And it's not just to accept these facts and this challenge, and at times even pain, but ultimately to embrace it. You might say, well, why would you want to embrace a world that's like this? We can embrace the reality of what it is because we are citizens of another place. We are meant for another world. And that's what we're going to see as we read 1 Peter. We're going to start today in chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 through 9. Before we do, I want to show you three things that we can find in the text today. This can be mined a ton, but three things specifically today to look at. The world in which we live and the one that Peter writes to are very similar, and this is what he does to, to, to help us understand who we are. Number one, we may be lonely in this world, but we are not alone. Second, we may experience persecution, but not without purpose. Third and finally, I think we're going to come to see that we're homeless here in so many ways, but we are not hopeless. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. I want to kind of give you some background and some history to set up this letter that Peter's writing and ultimately what he's getting at here as he writes this letter to, to these churches. You notice a, a long list of churches that are listed there. All of these churches are, are in an area that we would call Asia Minor or present-day Turkey. But these, these churches, these small churches, these new fledgling churches, all really, really exist in kind of a corridor together. In fact, they're really kind of put along, just like Paul would set up at times, just churches that are on a trade route. They're churches that would be just really close to one another or kind of on the way to the next place in a destination type way. So Peter writes this letter in what we call a circular letter. This is a letter that was meant to be passed down to all of these different churches so they could all read it and all experience the good news of Jesus through this very letter, through this very writing. So Peter is writing to all of these churches and he's writing to a very specific scenario they're experiencing and it's this, they live in a culture, in a Greco-Roman world in which Christians are markedly, definitively outsiders. They're people who exist many ways societally on the fringes. And he uses this really unique language. He calls them exiles. Another word for that would be a sojourner, someone who is not of there, someone who is not from there. He talks in verse 6 about various trials. One of the unique things about these people is that they were walking through persecution. But here's what we know historically about these churches in present-day Turkey. But then this area in Asia Minor... They experience a lot of persecution, but when you and I think of persecution, we often think of it to the extreme. We think of martyrdom. What they were experiencing was oppression from their neighbors. Relegation to, to, to other places, not being allowed to connect or be a part of the community that they existed in. They were living under threats. They were verbally abused. They were disrespected. They were largely misunderstood. They were mocked. This is the kind of life 
that these people experience, these believers experience. It's the kind of life that increasingly you and I are experiencing, even here in our world. Peter writes to them to encourage them, and he tells them, even in verse 1, that though they may feel or seem or be lonely, they indeed are not alone. Look at verse 1, and you're going to see the way he describes these people. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, all of that language is probably a little bit unique to us. Well, there's, there's three very kind of sort of distinct things happening, and I, I want to work backwards. One, the, the dispersion aspect is this is Jewish language to describe when the Jews were exiled in Babylon. Pushed out, pushed away, moved away from all that they know in their current surroundings, the place that was their home. They, they've, been, they've been spread out. They've been dispersed. So Peter's using Jewish language to help these Gentile believers he's writing to understand that they're connected to the history of all of God's people because just like the Jews were, they've been dispersed. They've been pushed out. They've been cast away in many ways. He says that they're exiles. This is another reference to the fact that they don't live truly in the places that they live. Because that word sojourner or exile really truly means this. It means someone who doesn't have genuine citizenship in the place that they exist. They have little to no legal status. That was kind of the life of the Christian in the Greco-Roman world. But he also says this about them, that they are elect. Meaning that they're chosen by God. So all of these things are kind of converging, and Peter's writing this story to these group, or to this group rather, of, of churches and all of these Christians there to say, don't you understand, you're connected to the redemptive story of God throughout time and space, throughout all of history. You're, you're dispersed, you're in exile, you're a wanderer, just like Abraham was. You're connected to the wilderness people of God. The life that you live, the place that you find yourself in, it perhaps feels strange and it feels uncomfortable, but it's consistent with those who've trusted in the Lord for life. He also calls them exiles and sojourners to, to really remind them the momentary nature of life. It's the psalmist that would write, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The life that they live is ultimately really transient. They're not meant to be here. They're citizens of another place. Their citizenship is actually, like the way Paul would frame it in Philippians, their citizenship is in heaven. And this is the assurance he gives them of these things. Look into verse 2 and you can see this. God's foreknowledge. That God providentially from the beginning of all things knows their story and that it's embedded in the story of redemption that he's been weaving from the beginning. Second, look, you can see the sanctification of the Spirit. God is at work in them through the Spirit. He's actively working. 
it's been said recently by, by, by John Piper and, and others kind of describing, you know, we sing that song, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Piper said it this way recently, and I think it's such a helpful phrase. He said, God's doing 10,000 things in your life, and you can see about three of them right now. God is constantly working. He's constantly at work within us, sanctifying us, transforming us, shaping us into the image of Jesus through the Spirit. And finally, God has given us the power, as it says in the latter part of verse 2, for obedience to Jesus only through His grace. And now, as Brian mentioned this morning, even in our call to worship and, and, that, and, that, and that recognition that, that we can confessionally go to God, that we can go behind genuinely before the throne of grace boldly because of the sprinkling of Christ's blood, because of Jesus' life and his atoning death and his victorious resurrection, we can go to him. So all of this, Peter writes with encouragement to these believers to say, hey, look, I get it. You're in a world where you don't fit in, where you don't connect in a billion ways with the people that are around you. And not just in some sort of like, value system, that's a part of it, but ultimately that you've given your life to Christ in a world that's living for itself. That can feel lonely, but you're not alone. God knows your story. He's given you Jesus, and he's at work within you through the power of the Spirit. No matter what citizenship you have on earth, you have citizenship in heaven with him. Second, we can see this in verse 6, that to be a believer, not just in this world, in this place, in this day, but in our day, means that we will experience some level of persecution, some level of pain, but it is not without purpose. It's not without purpose. Look into verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. These various trials that Peter speaks of are ultimately the things that they're experiencing. The marginalization, the oppression, the persecution, being, being told that they don't fit in with society, being verbally abused, being living under threats of violence, whether they come to fruition or not, being misunderstood, being disrespected, feeling genuinely out of place. The pain they experience is being used by God. It's not being wasted. How do we know that? After those, those various trials are described in verse 6, look at what verse 7 says. So that, so this is the purpose statement, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and then there's this descriptor, right, that, that this faith is more precious than gold, that perishes even though tested by fire, that this faith may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That it's present and it's also future. That in this moment that God has been glorified and honored, but he also will be in the future as well on that very last day, the day of salvation. It's present now and it's future. And it has real implications for the things that are happening in the world around us. Because it's not only worship, it's also witness. People will see this and experience this. That that faith may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you and I suffer and yet still worship the Lord, that reveals 
God to the world around us. I don't know if any of you were able to watch or see or view any of the live stream or the worship from the worship service, although it was a memorial service for those at the Covenant School uh, in Nashville. I don't know if any of you saw that or experienced any of that. Um, Those are things that that we seemingly cannot fathom. The loss of husbands, wives, children, aunts, uncles, all, all, all of these people that are dearly loved, and to watch a room full of people, even people who are genuinely mourning that loss that's not adjacent to them, but it's their loss. And they're singing and worshiping and praising the Lord, not because it's a responsibility or not because they feel like they have to, but because they believe that Christ has died That Christ has risen, and because one man has died, all have died, and so that one man lives so that all can live if they trusted in him. They believe in the resurrection, that this is not the last time that they will see those that they love, that in the midst of this tragedy, they still can't help but confess the goodness of God. When you watch people live that out before your eyes, you can't help but see This is real. This is true. Who would celebrate and and worship one if if he was not truly in control of all things, if he wasn't truly loving, if he doesn't make something beautiful out of such tragedy? When you and I experience suffering, and in those moments we worship, it is a witness of, of Christ to the world. And Christ is continually, as this text says, revealed. There's revelation of him. Finally, look into verse 3 and you'll see this. Not only does living in a world where you feel like a foreigner, you feel like an alien, you're a sojourner, you're an exile, make you feel lonely. We know from God's word we're not alone. Not only do you experience persecution, but you learn that it's not without purpose. Finally, You may feel or sense homelessness in a way, but you are not hopeless. And here's what that means. These brothers and sisters, these believers, Peter's writing them to say, don't you understand? Your hope is not in the things of this world that are transient, that are going to pass away. But instead, your hope is a living hope. It's Jesus Christ. And by the way, you ought to feel strange in this place. You ought to feel weird here because something has happened to you. You were born into whatever world you lived in. But then something happened. You were born again. When you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you were born again. You were made new. Now, you're a new creation, and you're not meant for this world that's around you. In fact, truly, indeed, you are so new that you live in a new place, that you actually are what Paul would say, and as he writes the Philippians, a citizen of heaven. That's where your citizenship is. You're an exile, and you're a sojourner in this world, on this earth, at this time. But this isn't your home. That sounds so silly in some ways. Because you and I do this thing where on the first of the month, we pay this mortgage. 
And there's an address tied to it. And that place is the place you're going to go today. If you don't go to Las Mesas, that's where you're going to eat lunch. It's where you're going to do your laundry. It's where you're going to spend time with your family. It's where you're going to lay your head tonight before you go to work tomorrow. Peter's writing to a group of people, and he doesn't want them to forget. He doesn't want them to miss the fact that this is not your home. Your home is heaven, and specifically a new heaven and a new earth that's to come. There is no need for sun because all the light, as Revelation would say, comes from the glory of God himself in Jesus Christ. And you know this, and you can feel this, and you can probably sense this homelessness as a believer because there's so many days you probably wake up or you look around or you feel it and you say, I just don't, I don't belong here. And that's really helpful. It's a beautiful thing because it points us to the fact that this world does not satisfy us. It does not meet the desires that we have. There's no one, I don't think, that's ever said it more simply and articulately than C.S. Lewis. In Mere Christianity, he writes this. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Why is that important to remember? Why is Peter saying these things? Because ultimately, he's calling these believers to remember their identity. There's this other gentleman, his name is Paul David Tripp, and he describes this, this, this whole text as kind of revolving around the question, what's the most dangerous thing about living in this world? The most dangerous thing is not the persecution we face. It's not the trouble we may endure. The most dangerous thing is actually what he calls identity amnesia, not remembering who we are, failing to remember that all of life is bound up in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we do with all of these things? Well, number one, we're called to remember our identity. In the brokenness of this world, we're called to remember that our fullness has come from the very life of Jesus, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us by his Spirit. That is the one thing to which you and I must cling. Additionally, this gives us the opportunity to recognize that we're called to pray with others. To pray for and with others who are walking through moments of pain in this life and to remind each other of the promise of the world to come. Here's another helpful thing that I think is beneficial for us, a way we could apply this text is... Man, do I look like the world around me? Or are there spiritual distinctives in my life that reveal I am actually a citizen of another place because I don't look like the world that's around me? I think we've probably all walked through seasons of this is a good question to ask dear friends, to ask brothers, to ask your spouse, to ask a family member. Man, do I look like this world? Or do I look like a sojourner, an exile that God has chosen from it to have life through relationship with Jesus Christ? What do I look like? Where is 
my life. In a moment, we're going to take an opportunity to sing together. And we're going to do what we do every week, which is create an opportunity to worship and sing and respond to, to the text this morning. Specifically, the recognition of what it means to embrace living hope. That that's who Jesus is. That the hope that, that we long for is not something that may come to pass. Because that's what often we consider hope to be. This thing that's going to come. This thing that's going to happen sooner or later. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of pain, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being marginalized or ostracized, or just not feeling at home, feeling dissettled, uncomfortable, anxious... You're looking for a way out. You want an answer, how do I get out of this place? Surely something's coming that means that life is going to be different. Peter says it's different right now. Right now, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. These things are true. And because of this, we're not living as people without hope. We're living as people with deep hope. Because that hope even lives within us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives within us. So we can exist in this world, yes. We can get by or plod through, yes. Or we can embrace the fact that, yeah, I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile. I don't fit in with this world. We can embrace this fact that we weren't meant to. But we've got the opportunity to experience Christ in the here and now as he transforms us and to worship him in such a way, to reveal him in such a way that others would say, I want to know that love. I want to know that grace. I want to experience that life. I don't care what the world can throw at me. Jesus has overcome the world. As soldiers and exiles of the world, that's what we get to portray and offer and live out for others. Let's take a moment, if you will, bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, truly we are. Father, living out of a new identity that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We are people who are not marked by what we do or where we go or what we drive or the house we live in or the people we're connected to. Father, we're marked by the gospel. Our identity is wrapped up in our salvation, the saving, atoning work of your son Jesus for us. Father, we could not earn salvation We were constantly searching for it in all the wrong places. Trying to fit in and find our place in this world. And instead, by your great grace, you've caused us to find a place in you. And you and us. For we are truly in Christ. And your son Jesus Christ is in us. 
Father, would you transform us as, as people who live as sojourners and exiles, wanderers, those who are meant for a different world. And would you help us find encouragement and comfort in your love for us, in your grace towards us, your mercy towards us. And Father, would you cause us to see others that don't know you with compassionate hearts to trade a world that will end for one that will never end in you. Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to have the opportunity to sing and respond and genuinely sing these words that Jesus Christ is our living hope. In these moments, I encourage you to sit or stand or sing or pray or read the words on the screen. Whatever God is calling you to, do that and be obedient to him and worship him in spirit and truth. After, uh, after that, we will have an opportunity. Uh, We've got a really, really exciting moment for some families uh, to join the church this morning. Uh, and then after that, we'll have a benediction. But the service does not end in those moments. There's still an opportunity to come here. I'd love to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you, to minister to you in any way possible and encourage you in the Lord. So if you will, with an earnest heart, let's approach this time and sing and think on the living hope that is Jesus Christ.